Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Sound Iron Podcast. I am your host, Craig Peters. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking with composer Dan Morocco. You probably heard his stuff if you watch shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or if you've seen the movie Boys of Abu Ghraib. Uh, He's also done some horror stuff like Demonic, which are some of the projects that he's done that we're going to talk about today. He's going to tell us what it was like to assist for composers like Alexander Desplat and Javier Navarrete. He's going to tell us the story for how he became the composer for Brooklyn Nine-Nine and a whole lot more, so stick around. Well, Dan, I want to thank you for coming on to the Sound Iron Podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out to you know sit and chat. Uh, and I really wanted to talk with you because you have such a diverse catalog of things that you've worked on. I thought it'd be cool to sort of see a little bit of your approach into how you get started within uh, different projects. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> So I was doing a little bit of research on you, and I saw something that I thought was really interesting is that it says that you were born in Texas, you were raised in Osaka, Japan, and now you live in L.A., you know, scoring yeah. the picture. Tell me a little bit about how you ended up here and sort of uh, how that whole thing happened. Well, uh, my dad is actually a music teacher. He taught, uh, you know, high school marching band and, and you know, symphony band in uh, Texas, for like 25 years uh, while I was young and growing up and then uh, got an opportunity to teach in an international school in Osaka. So we moved uh, to Japan and then I graduated high school in Japan at that the international school there. And uh, then came back to the States for college and went to NYU and did uh, music business there. Uh, which I thought I wanted to do like A&R or something like that at a record label. Uh, but I got a internship and a job at a, a company doing music for commercials and really enjoyed writing music more than just talking about music. Or <laughs> Yeah, I always enjoyed yeah. the idea of the studio, but never really had a chance to get in and sit down and use one. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, for me, it really started with this, the studio part of it like getting in and you know messing with the computers and the equipment and everything like that and Mm -hmm. and then uh then also working to picture so i because i had never really played in in like rock bands or anything i played in like i played trumpet in a high school Mm -hmm. band that kind of thing Um, yeah uh but i definitely came at it initially from like writing producing more than you know, sitting around with a bunch of guys trying to write a song. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and for me, it's always been real helpful to have a picture to kind of inspire whatever it is that I'm going to be writing about. Yeah. Um, so after uh, doing mainly commercials in New York for several years, and after I graduated NYU, it seems like for music to picture, LA is the place to be. So I moved out here and tried to get into some film work and some TV stuff. So, uh, and it, I love it out here. It's great. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how the studio bug kind of bites people sometimes. Uh, like even if, you know, I, I think if you're just into, into music in general, whether you're, you're playing in bands or, or, uh, or high school band or anything. Yeah. How like, cause I was kind of, I, I kind of come from the band background. Yeah. But I found when uh, we first recorded, in a you know I guess like a, a legit actual studio whatever you'd call it, and I was just I loved being around it. Yeah. And you know when you first start playing an instrument, you never really think like 
oh, I want to, you know, eventually build a studio or start recording or, you know, you're just, you just like either, you know, writing music or playing someone else's. But uh, it, it's funny how sometimes it just kind of gets people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. To me, I'm I'm not a performer. I'm uh, about the the last person who should be <laughs> up on stage with people's eyeballs on them. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I want no part of that. Like that's just not who I am. Uh, so for me, the studio is like this is great. This is perfect, and I have you know I tend to be a little bit of a control freak and perfectionist on things. So it's like I have infinite control of the music here, and uh, yeah, the uh, how how crazy things could go on stage is not at all appealing to me, but, <laughs> but yeah, well, same can kind of go bad for in the studio too. Like <laughs> it, when you're, you're trying to get creative or work on something and all of a sudden your computer shuts off or some kind of yeah <laughs> power surge or something, the hard drive dies on you. And then, you know, it's like you always have those kind of issues. Yeah. I will say the, I, you know, as frustrating as those are the few times where I've just completely lost it, a cue or you know something i've been on for hours or so it's like the the second time around i it's usually better like i usually i know what i liked about it and i don't have to repeat the mistakes that i kept trying to fix the first time around you know yeah so as frustrating it is and i have to like you know run out of the studio and (laughs) scream for a minute and come back in and it's like okay i can uh, i can do this i can do it better and i'll just make it make it work quickly so it's, yeah, uh, if, if if you can make that switch mentally, you're good. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> that's always a thing. It's like, uh, will you overcome or will you just kind of fall apart? Because you're you know, the pressure. Like, okay, I had two weeks to get this done. Now <laughs> yeah. it died on me the day before. Now I have 24 hours to get it done. Yeah, and uh, you know, if you can I, get past that, then you're a pro. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, enjoy the pressure to to make something cool happen. That's. Uh, a little too much, I think. <laughs> I'd be yeah, better if I, I could could make the magic happen without the pressure. But yeah, just always always do everything before the deadline, like the the day right before, and you, you'll write your best stuff. Yeah, <laughs> at least you'll write it quickly. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Brooklyn Nine Nine, yeah, got canceled. Yeah, that was a rough how, day. <laughs> how bummed were you when that happened? You know it. It was kind of, uh, in in my mind, going into the fifth season, we were kind of 50-50, and as the season wore on and the ratings and stuff, it was really feeling like, yeah, no better than 50-50. Um, and I was, I mean, it's been an awesome thing for me. It's just on the personal side, like, uh, before Brooklyn 99 started, I didn't have kids, and... It, it's like given me a great kind of opportunity to uh, have time with the kids and and do something that I'm really enjoying and you know it's kind mm-hmm. of it's it's been a definite like marker in time in my life of when I've yeah. been doing Brooklyn Nine Nine uh, and then it's just a real fun show to work on like I I crack up every time I watch you know I'll watch the same yeah. scene over and over and over and I'll be <laughs> just laughing each time you know that would be like you know the character Boyle will do something silly on screen and it's like it's amazing how like a hundred times through it literally a hundred times through it and it still cracks me up you know <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah so that the day of the cancellation it was it was definitely like oh but I didn't think it could really I didn't I didn't think it would really happen I've been telling myself it was 50 yeah. 50 but I didn't think it would really go and uh, 
uh, I was also in the process of we my I just bought a new house and just started construction on a new studio and all that. Yeah. And, you know, so you have all those kind of uh, concerns as well. But it's really uh, it's really been such a fun show to work on. I just well, I was really happy with where we ended up at the end of season five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like if that had to have been the finale, it, it would have been pretty nice. It was uh, it really felt like no, but we're not done like we're still it's it's still getting better each season you know it's not we're not in that kind of just see how long we can write it out thing that some shows get into it it felt like there's more to do but uh yeah how well how stoked were you when you found out that NBC picked it up I I uh couldn't believe it I was at so you know I'm sure any of the musicians listening understand that we're not at the top of the call sheet so you know i i got mm. my news both ways on twitter you know it's like i had an alert set up and so i you know i just was in the doctor's office and saw on the phone like oh brooklyn 99 canceled it's like oh okay that's it and then uh yeah the next day i was at, out of the restaurant with uh one of my best friends just kind of uh going over it, you know, yeah. how how rough it was going to be and how uh, bummed I was about it. And I got a call from my wife that, uh, saying, you got picked up again. It's like, uh, yeah, just totally in shock. And uh, it was really like, I, you know, there had been some discussion uh, of, oh, well, maybe Hulu or Netflix or something. Yeah. Maybe one of these other ones, a streaming service will pick it up. And uh, so... About, you know, later, the middle of the of the day after, there came word that, like, no Hulu passed, Netflix passed. And so at that point, it was really like, okay, this is, it's really done. It's, you know, time to get on to something new. And then, yeah, it popped up a few hours later, and, and it was so great to hear and really like, yes, this is, <laughs> this is uh, exciting to, to keep it going and... Uh, it, it, honestly, the kind of the the best part of that thirty hour period there was the fan reaction that we were getting, just you know, watching Twitter or whatever, um, from you know, like Guillermo del, del Toro, people like that, like saying mm-hmm. they loved the show. It's like really, like that's awesome. <laughs> that's great, you know. Uh, people you know, expect. Yeah, it's fun to just see how many people really enjoyed the show, and it's I like in the now it's been about nine months or so since that happened i just i keep hearing people telling me how much they enjoy the show and how it's uh kind of comforting and it's they if they're in a dark place or they're having a rough day or whatever that it's it's a show that they can just they know they can just watch it and enjoy it and they will definitely smile they will definitely laugh and just in in their day better than it had been and yeah you know from like soldiers who had been in Afghanistan to uh, you know, people battling depression or whatever else that people are dealing with. It, it like is a reliable thing to just kind of pick you up and say, Hey, there are good people in the world and, and there's fun yeah. to be had. So I, you know, it's, it's great to get to keep being a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just started watching that show maybe two or three weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Yeah. Because um, a friend of mine was telling me about it. He's like, yeah, it's really funny. You should watch it. So I was, I was just scrolling through Hulu, which is kind of surprising that you're saying that Hulu 
wouldn't be interested in picking it picking it up because they actually have it on there. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's where I started watching it. And, yeah, it's really funny. And uh, you know, when I saw the opportunity about you um, coming on the podcast, I was like, I was like, I was telling, I was like, oh, I actually watched this show. It's really funny. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's really cool. And uh, um, it's funny. It's actually it's uh, it's premiering tonight, right? The new season. Yeah, yeah. Season six starts tonight. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's got a pretty straight run through the through the spring here. Kind of every Thursday night at at uh, nine o'clock on NBC cool. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations on that. That's really Thanks. cool. Thanks. Yeah. So how how did you get that gig? Kind of uh, you know you were saying you know since you've been kind of scoring the picture, how did you start getting on some more bigger projects like that, or or even getting that um, that gig in particular? Yeah. Well. Uh, so I mentioned that I went to NYU, and it just so happened that basically all of my friends at NYU were NYU film students. So that's kind of how I that combined with my my job at the music house doing commercials, uh, and then all my friends needing some music for their film, you know, their short films and mm-hmm. that you know kind of first low budget features that kind of thing. Um, they needed music and I knew how to write music for picture. And so it worked out. And so I kind of got hooked in. My wife is actually, she was NYU film also. And, uh, so the, the most, uh, straight trajectory on Brooklyn nine, nine was that, an, another friend from NYU film was an editor on modern family. Uh, actually, and, uh, she needed, some music for a scene and called me up and I mentioned uh, before, but I had, uh, I was on Christmas break and I was in El Paso, Texas and <laughs> I just had my laptop with me, but it was, mm-hmm. an, it was a piece of organ music that they needed scored to, to this whole long scene. So I downloaded the uh, sound iron uh, organ and uh, bought a cheap, MIDI keyboard at uh, Guitar Center and spent a few days over my Christmas break on a laptop with headphones writing the piece of music for the for for her and mm-hmm. then she ended up editing the Brooklyn Nine-Nine pilot um, and later directing a few episodes too and oh. uh, she she called me on to help out with the pilot and uh, I guess they liked what I did well enough they hired me for the for the show so yeah <laughs> uh, that's that's how I got on Brooklyn Nine Nine. You know, mm-hmm. obviously I had to have a few credits aside from just helping out on one thing. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I assisted uh, for a while on uh, several TV shows um, and got some experience writing and and uh, figuring out how TV works because it's it's mm-hmm. different than just writing a song or writing for. a you know, like I said, I'd started in commercials and that's, you know, if you if you get to write a minute long piece of music that, you know, it's not going to be related to anything else you're doing on any yeah. other thing. But if you get to write a minute long piece of music like that's that's kind of the the big one in the commercial mm-hmm. world. So then to get into TV where especially on, on the drama side, sometimes you've got, you know, three minute cues or something that you have to do and you've got. Uh, the workflow is just very different in that you've on a drama. A lot of times you'll have 20 to f- even 40 minutes of music 
uh, in like a week that needs to be written. Whereas in the commercial world, it's like, you know, it's 30 seconds or a minute in. Yeah. Uh, now they may want 10 versions of 30 seconds or a minute in, in that three day period or whatever, but it's just mm-hmm. a, it's a very different way of just kind of getting all the music out. And it's, I enjoyed starting to have, being able to work with themes and longer you know, creating a real palette for a show that sounds like yeah. well, that's what th- this is this show. And it, it, yeah, it, it could kind of work for something else, but it, it's really for this, you know, <laughs> and that's, that was kind of fun kind of getting into that and learning. And then through that, I got hooked up with the, uh, Alexander Desplat and Javier Navarrete and did some assisting for them. And, uh, that was really cool to see how just the you know the upper echelon the real top the the biggest kind yeah. of things see how they do it and help out where i could and well, yeah. uh, you know it's there's there's definitely the uh when you're in the, in the presence of genius like you, it's pretty inspiring just to see somebody who's that good work you know and it's like man yeah. it, well it's inspiring and and very humbling <laughs> like i'm not sure i'm that but maybe i can learn a thing or two like I, I don't have that genius but if i can pick up a thing or two from him great yeah so. try to try to let the genius rub off on you yeah just a little <laughs> yeah yeah i saw that you did some assisting stuff for uh, for alexander Desplat and, and javier and yeah alex uh, Alexander Desplat is one of my favorite composers. Uh, I, I yeah, never knew too. who he was until I heard the score for Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. Yeah, that's just actually the, main... the first one I worked on him with. Was uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> uh, that's that's really cool. Just that main theme. It's just I don't know. Yeah. It's just something about his music sounds very just like rich and yeah. He has such a colorful. I mean, you know? uh, he has such a good melodic kind of lyrical sense, but it, he he yeah. It's he has that that magic that you instantly know it's it's him and you know it and also works great for picture you know it's like it it fits the thing it creates a world and you also know it's him there's no mistaking which composer wrote the score for that if you you know Mm -hmm. listen to many scores it's like oh yeah that's that's clearly album yeah i think it's because he's he's so passionate just about film music yeah, and music in general. Because I was, I've seen some interviews with him, and just like the way he talks about it, he's he's not just like, yeah, some guy brought me some movie, and I you know threw some you know big epic drums and hybrid yeah. synths and all this yeah, stuff, and on whatever. You know, <laughs> I hit a couple of presets and I'm out. Like he's he just seems real deep about it. Like yeah, he, he really he, takes it seriously. He's a real student of music and and film scoring and uh, like jazz. He just loves jazz, but um but yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't really get his love for jazz so much in his in his scores i don't i don't think so directly but it's it's there underneath and he's he's a he's a super smart guy and and super talented and yeah Mm -hmm. the the work ethic was also another thing to watch for him because he's you know i so i i assisted him when he was in when he'd be working in la primarily Mm -hmm. so uh when you know, he'd just come off of, you know, whatever, 12, 14 hour flight, whatever it is from Paris. And immediately, you know, it's eight or nine o'clock at night, immediately sit down at his keyboard and just start fully writing the parts. Just, it, just go, you know, he's ready to, ready to go. And, you know, he, 
he does it himself. Like he's mm-hmm. he's really he's you know he has a team of people to help on the the final production end of things. But as far as the writing, it really is him doing the writing, and mm-hmm. uh, he orchestrates everything too, right? Yeah, I, I think he has or most or most of maybe like. More orchestrating than most. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, he has orchestrators who help him out and kind of uh, work on the parts. And and, uh, I think that's basically it is kind of write out the parts from the but it's it's pretty well done when he's (laughs) done. Although, you know, as a as a sample creator. It's interesting, you know, we everybody kind of has their go-to sounds and it's mm-hmm. like uh once when you get to know your go-to sounds, like it's great to have a new inspiring sound to work with and sometimes you need that on a new project or something especially or to kind of breathe yeah. new life into something. But for the majority of the time I was working with him, he still used uh Roland string samples for all his writing and he can make those Roland string sounds like off of you know s760 i think he was using like he can make those sound amazing like they sound when you listen to them on their own they don't sound like anything but but when you know your tools so well that yeah and you're so comfortable writing in that the midi mock-ups even with you know samples that at that time were 20 years old or whatever you know uh you can you can really make something amazing (laughs) out of it yeah yeah I definitely agree. I think there's a lot of people nowadays that they have that sort of, they get something new and they're like, you know, like, or they see some commercial like for this new product and like, oh, that's what I need. And then they get it and they spend like 20 minutes with it and they're like, uh, well, it's not really quite what I expected, like right out of the box. Yeah. But you have to learn how it works. That's the thing. Not, not everything is, you know. Yeah. You can't play a PlayStation controller like an Xbox. You got to learn how the other thing works and then you'll be able to you know beat every level on the game versus like oh it's just not working done you know yeah yeah it's definitely i i do kind of hoard my sample libraries and you know i i grab a bunch at a time and then i just kind of try and figure them out when i uh have time or a need for it i'll find something that inspires me but uh when i need to to write something quickly, it's like I definitely have my go-tos of like, uh, well, like for piano, I, I mentioned um, before, but uh, your emotional piano library for, for I'm not a great piano player, like I, I can get by, but for the way I play piano and what I use piano for in my mm-hmm. music, it it's so forgiving for me kind of, <laughs> that that's like... <laughs> I can make something sound good on that. I also have a I have a Wurlitzer in the studio that I I oh, yeah. use that's very forgiving. Also, that you know that it's like I can make something that sounds beautiful that I get inspired about the music instead of being like, oh, but it doesn't look like just that one. You know, so I have probably twenty other piano libraries that supposedly sound amazing, but and. Maybe I'll try and move them over, but if it's if it's been written on <laughs> the emotional piano one, then I'll like I'll keep it on there. Like it it's going to end up better with that. But I I guess for for me with the piano especially, it's like uh, if I'm going to write something for piano, it's probably going to be a pretty gentle piece of music. Yeah, and 
just because that's kind of the palette I use. Obviously, the piano can do a lot, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but for me, uh, it it gets too distracting because I don't have the the piano technique to really control uh, some of the other ones that can really get loud and aggressive. Yeah, uh, it's it's really nice for me to just be able to sit and not think about like my piano technique while I'm trying mm-hmm. to write this piece of music and really just think about the notes and where I want to go with it and how it's feeling to me. But yeah, yeah. I, th- I think everything from just like the feel of like when your finger hits a key and you hear a sound and how that sound sort of resonates with you. Um, there's definitely something there. You know, it's important. It's not a matter of you know, let's say having the best uh, or whatever you know you think is the best like just having something that like when like it's like having an acoustic guitar that just when you strum a chord and the way it just kind of vibrates yeah you like you can't really explain why you connect with it or why you're just like man this guitar like i don't know what it is it's just some whatever acoustic guitar but uh you know i think immediately if you you know hit a key and you hear a sound and it triggers something that usually leads to you know inspiration or new creative ideas just because it's like a it's a very natural feel not like i need to make this big yeah i don't know string section or whatever you know you just kind of like you know and even then you can write that on a piano and then arrange it for you know different instrument sections or whatever but uh yeah i think that's great that's awesome to hear yeah uh yeah it's definitely it's it's great to have the tools that that you can, <laughs> you can just instantly kind of make that connection with and uh, and get get moving on the writing part of it, but because I yeah I can I could sort through all the other <laughs> samples for hours and and not, yeah. you know I'm easily distracted maybe but <laughs> yeah so so you were talking a little bit earlier about um, th- that you're redoing your studio and kind of like yeah. getting it all redone. I wanted to ask, what are some of the reasons, was there any uh, certain reasons why you're doing that? Or what uh, what are you trying to do with your new setup as far as the new studio room? Um, yeah, I mean, the the main reason is my family moved across town, so I need a place to work. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I had my list of gripes with my old place of, of how I wanted to have it set up that I'm trying to make sure I get all those uh, taken care of. and and one of the main ones is uh i wanted a a good room for recording drums and mm-hmm. uh having my guitars mic'd up having the amps mic'd up so that i can get real sounds and but everything has to be ready to go you know that's the uh if i have to take down half the studio to set up a drum set to make it it work then it's like it's just not going to happen because this the pace that things have to happen at yeah um so it, I mean, it, these things snowball. It, it literally started with me thinking, well, for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, like it would be helpful if I just had a hat set up, you know, just a high hat set up with a mic right beside my mm-hmm. spot where I'm working so that I can do the hi hat patterns, you know, I can, cause I use a lot of hi hat in it, <laughs> you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. and I can get, get the kind of ends of notes exactly how I want them. Or if I want a little kind of swish on the end of a, something that I can just record it because uh, as much as I've kind of familiar familiarized myself with different sample libraries and there are there are kind of too many sometimes to to get 
yeah, that's that's the one I want for just to get the timing just right to hit a joke or a yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to nail jokes, but you know, just to like to get in and out in the right spot. It's it's the kind of thing that uh, I was finding that it would be ideal to just have it a little just to where I could play it live and quickly and move on. Uh, mm-hmm. But then it was like, well, if I'm going to do that, I probably, I could use a ride and then I, I could use a, <laughs> a snare and yeah, I do some stuff with the Tom. Yeah, like so I, really, <laughs> I really do need a kick drum. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. So, so it got to be where, okay, I just need a drum kit and I need it set up to where I can, you know, have the control walk in the, walk in the room play what i need to play and come up and i you know same with the guitars i started you know on the pilot um i think my guitars were all kind of in the box directly and then it's kind of grown and grown to where now i like it has to be really recorded which it should be you know <laughs> But, yeah, I think certain instruments. I mean, there's there's some really good drum libraries out there. Yeah, but I feel like with guitar, there's you're never. I I think it's it's way harder to get. I mean, you can get close. Yeah, but. yeah, and actually, you know, one of the on the 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 sound of the show, like what really inspired the show's got a lot of. It's very bass driven. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of my my choice of sound for the this uh, police show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a sample library of a muted Rickenbacker bass and that that really kind of drove like, oh, OK, that's cool. Like that's that's the sound like that's kind of got the the right retro feel to it. But but yeah. that also fits in that kind of 80s hip hop vibe, too, that I was kind of aiming for. And yeah. uh, so while the sample library kind of inspired like okay th- that helped me find like this is the sound but of course then yeah. uh, you know 10 episodes in or when i went out and bought a rickenbacker bass and <laughs> set it up to be muted all the time so i've got my you know my go-to bass there because it just well yeah it feels better to just play it now but um, yeah, and it and i think for for that for that vibe like you were saying it makes sense to have more real instruments because uh i mean you can program it but yeah something like that i think to to really get that extra feel across yeah you're gonna need some uh some yeah. real people behind there yeah and uh yeah the people and yeah i mean recording the guitars live it just i've you know i know stuff's getting better and better it just feels like there's just that extra layer of of thick like <laughs> vibration to it that i can feel when when i'm listening that I think on the on the uh, the direct guitar stuff that I had been uh, using mainly, you know, you you get such a wide range and all the effects and everything just at a click of a button. But I think I think uh, I have a tendency, especially having not played in bars and clubs, and you know, had played with an amp on full blast for years and years and years. Uh, it's too easy to get to stray away from what a guitar should really sound like when you have all the effects in the box. Like it, it can start to sound like uh, just some synth thing or some a keyboard part or something like that where it doesn't yeah. feel like it's really pushing the air in the room that, uh, that I've tried to get back to. <laughs> but 
but yeah, definitely drums and stuff like uh, the drums, because I'm going for that, you know, as one aspect of the sound is that 80s kind of hip hop vibe is sampled drums is huge for that. So, so it, it makes more sense to be using sampled drums than a live drummer for the majority of that stuff. And then my drum set, my drum set wishes are more for scoring. A lot of times the action scenes will need something a little bit more live and energetic feeling, but yeah. Um, yeah. That's cool. Do you, do you mix all your own stuff? Yeah, I do. I mean, like the theme song, I, I had help mixing that, you know, <laughs> just to make mm-hmm. sure since that's going to be playing over and over. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I, I mix everything for the show and I've, um, you know, I have the backstop of it's going to go to a mix and they know the stuff and it's pretty simple music like i there's not a ton of layers in the show other things i've worked on have had you know so many layers it's and since i'm using trying to use very real sounds and Mm -hmm. not too many layers of them it's it's pretty straightforward to mix and i've kind of uh developed a system that where i can kind of cross check between pro tools which i write in logic and then i i put everything in I stem everything out of Logic and put it in Pro Tools and work mm-hmm. in Pro Tools at essentially what a, a level that's much closer to what um, you would hear on on TV. And you know, I kind of have a, a little mini mix set up in Pro Tools so mm-hmm. that I can hear how it translates and make choices. And you know, when I'm working in Logic, it's too tempting to keep turning the music side of it up and up as I'm writing. You know, because yeah. I'm trying to feel the music as I'm doing it, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, things like a, a cymbal or something like that that sounds like, oh, well, that's plenty loud when I'm listening to the full the full music. That Then mm-hmm. when you duck it way down, uh, in which is what's going to end up like on TV, that, that that kind of thing can get totally lost. Or, you know, if it's the, the right frequency, it'll be like oh that's all i'm hearing so i kind of do a two-pass mix on things uh i do more of a mix mix in logic and then go into pro tools and try and uh tweak and make sure everything's sitting with the dialogue and everything just right Mm -hmm. why do you why do you prefer mixing in pro tools versus logic um you know in it's probably just in my head but it sounds different to me i think it's probably what i'm talking about with the levels of um of the dialogue and the effects and everything like that i feel like mm-hmm. um and also uh with the sense and every and the plug-in layers and everything like that i kind of like to get then back to just audio and then i can just <laughs> just be tweaking it because uh, mm. i feel like there's a certain lag and uh, a little bit of a variation that I'm I'm feeling at least in, when I'm working in Logic, uh, which I love Logic for writing. Like it, it works really well. But I feel like when I get into the mix side of it, I I prefer to have it sim- simplified down to my ten stems that I stem out of Logic to work with instead of having all the little 
parts that are here and here and this sampler and it, did I forget to turn down that and in Pro Tools if I just need it, it's mostly volume adjustments in Pro Tools and sometimes it's like oh no that that could use a little something on the EQ or compressor or something but mostly mm -hmm. what I use it for is volume adjustments and if it's like well that one note is sticking out weird with that line of dialogue then I can just cut that note and I'll do a clip gain and drop it down so that it's not interfering with the dialogue and or mm -hmm. and also just um you know in writing for picture i'm not sure how much you've ever uh, worked to picture but uh a lot of <laughs> a lot of times there are accidents that make things really great as far as the sync so you'll be you know you'll be working on something for hours and be like okay i think i've got it all right and then you hit a button you drop in a new cut and it's like oh this is totally different but it's like oh but that works so well there and you know yeah things things shift around uh i in my assisting days there was many times where i'd go in and look at something somebody else was working on and and just be like well, what if it was like a beat and a half later like then wouldn't that kind of line up and then that and and you put it there and it's like yeah that is way better like how how did that happen it's you know it's just kind of i'm sure anybody who's spent a lot of time writing the picture has had that happen many times for them where it's like yeah. i you know i was doing this so specifically for every little thing and then you move it and it's like oh okay well yeah it is better so it it gives me that chance to say you know in logic with all the parts and all the plugins and automations and stuff like that that I may have going on if I want to just see what it's like a few frames off or what if it's over here what if I just make sure I line up that point exactly right then mm -hmm. it feels like there's so many it's a big ship to write you know when you when you, if you're just going to move things a little bit here or try something or what if I just move this whole section over here um I I basically play music editor before I send it off to the real music editors to, to work on. Like <laughs> I, I do a pass of just double checking myself, both on the composition side, but mostly on the mix side in Pro Tools. And it, it just gives me, um, it, I force myself to make sure I'm listening to it as it's going to be on TV because yeah. it's, it's too easy to get real excited about something when you have you know, my music bus at, you know, all the way up at zero and, and <laughs> the dialogue's just playing along. Like, it's like, yeah, no, I know what they're saying. I don't care about that. I want to <laughs> yeah, get into the music. Yeah. Uh, it's too easy to do that. And, and then when you see it on TV, it doesn't translate at all because they just turned it all down because it was interfering with the joke. And that, you know, that's the, <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the big lesson from writing for comedy now for the last, uh, whatever five five six years mm -hmm. is it don't ever get in the way of a joke because it won't ever <laughs> if, if you're stepping anywhere near a joke just just back off and yeah. uh the the little quarter of a frame here even this way or that way can really make a difference on how funny something is like i've you know like i was mentioning how you just bump something one way or another there have been things where i'm like i know this piece of music feels right for this and 
I like I know I'm getting pretty close to what it should be, but it's the scene's just not really like it. It's not really it's not making me laugh. It's not like I've seen it several times, but it, I don't know. I just I don't love this scene. And then I'll say, well, okay, what if I just try and line that part up and I move everything over and then it's like you play it down and it after watching it, you know, 40 times or whatever, suddenly it makes me laugh that it's like, oh, well, that's really <laughs> both frustrating and really nice to be able to just just try things out like that, you know? Yeah, that's but, a good tip. So yeah. it's like if you're ever hating your music, don't throw it away. <laughs> just move it around a little bit. Yeah, nudge I it, mean, nudge it forward and backwards. Some, sometimes it really makes a difference. Sometimes it really... Uh, I mean, if you if you feel like yeah, no, this is the right feel, like it's the move, you know, it's there. It's just like why is that line that's supposed to be funny not funny? And really nudging it a bit here and there can make a big difference in it being like okay, now that's landing because you know it, there's a there's definitely a similarity in in music and comedy of just setting up an expectation and then. Uh, delivering in a slightly unexpected way mm-hmm. and I think uh, it's you can it's pretty easy to get going and just be like okay well the music's working here and the scene's funny and it feels about right but there's sometimes when you can hit that that moment of lining up the expectation <laughs> moment in the comedy and the music just right and and hitting the resolution in the same way you can really uh, you know bump it up a couple notches make it yeah really fun for the audience coming from the commercial background and then doing a comedy you know like a tv comedy like that did you did you find anything sort of difficult as far as uh you know trying not to be maybe too like a considered like cliche or or that sort of thing or like kind of well yeah i mean no the um I will. I I did have a little bit of a a break where I was doing mostly TV drama between the commercial stuff and uh, and Brooklyn Nine Nine, um, but the uh, yeah, the truth is nobody wants a sitcom composer <laughs> right now, at least. Like nobody yeah. nobody wants it their sitcom to sound like a sitcom, uh, and that's. I have never been in a meeting or an interview or anything where anybody said like, this just needs to feel like a sitcom, (laughs) you know, like that's the last thing people want right now. Um, And it's not at all what I aim to deliver. Um, There are definitely things that when you get in and it's like, well, okay, we need, we need to punch it up towards the end of this act where you, you need to be building and you've got four seconds to build. It's like, it it takes a lot of effort to not make it sound sitcom-y because I'm, I tend to approach things pretty melodically to begin with. And I think when you get melody in a three or four second little cue, it's almost impossible to not make it sound like a sitcom. Yeah. So, dun, dun, dun. yeah, yeah, it's just, just anything. <laughs> every you Family do. Matters episode, yeah. every Full House episode. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that's definitely something. It's like I'm sure I've gone over the line a few times on the show, but uh, it's definitely something I try to avoid. It's if we hear, you know, and we're spotting and listening to something in mm-hmm. the in temp, and it's like, 
ah, that sounds too sitcom. It's like, take it out of the library. Like, get it out of there. We don't, we don't want that. You know, that's, that's not yeah. what we're going for. Definitely the, the goal on the show to begin with was uh, that I'm going to play more of the action and the police, not drama, but the police uh, storyline is, is more what I'm here for. And, yeah. you know, the, the producers of the show did uh, The Office and Parks and Rec, oh, super, okay. super funny shows. And, oh, yeah, I love you The know, Office. I've seen that show, I don't know how many yeah. times. <laughs> but they don't have any music in either of those shows. Like, they, you know, they have the theme song and then there's no score. So That's true. They came at it from, uh, you know, we, we don't need music to help uh, our audience know that it's funny. And mm-hmm. I fully agree, like you don't. And so that's never been my job on the show is to, to like, if there's ever anything that's like, is, is the music making you, making it a joke? Like, is the, is the music sh- should never be part of the joke for the show, basically. Um, it The music just helps support the jokes and gets out mm-hmm. of the way if it helps to make them funnier. Um, but... Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a constant, it's a constant uh, thing I'm working on to make Mm -hmm. sure that I can get in and out quickly when I need to and uh, give it, give it the ramp it needs, give give it the punch it needs to, to, you know, keep that rhythm going Mm -hmm. uh, without it feeling like, oh, yeah, I'm watching a sitcom. That's what this is. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like serious music for that show could even make it funny too. Just like if if there's some scene where like Peralta's being an idiot or something, and you just hear like a do 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 like some like heavy like yeah. arpeggiated <laughs> synth, it makes it funny because you're like you, I can't take this guy serious, but then like the music seems all intense, but you yeah. know it's just gonna be like a big failure or something. Well, dumb. my general rule of thumb when I it, it it took me a few years to realize this when I would come up with the like, ah, is this too much? Or is this like, is this, uh, how should I play this? Like, is this funny? Mm-hmm. Or is this, is this like, no, they think they're being really cool is basically yeah. to, to be in Peralta's head. So yeah. whatever he, even if, if he's not, I mean, he's usually in the scenes with the big, cause he's usually in the A stories, you know, but mm-hmm. even if he's not in it, it's, how does he feel about what's happening right now? Does he think he's never looked cooler, and so the music should be as cool as it can be? Or he's, yeah, you know, is is this is he actually concerned for what's happening about what's happening right now, or is he, um, just having fun? You know, then that's kind of if I'm ever questioning which way to go with it, that's that's kind of the lead that I take. Yeah, I was watching the uh, the the trailer for for the first episode of the newest season did you do the music for that too no not for the trailer that i think was nbc's promo department took it but they they quoted the theme song and i thought was really fun that was cool yeah they they should yeah (laughs) but yeah i thought it was funny how uh you know when he's like jumping off the roof and they just try to make it like this big long epic thing yeah you know he would never catch it he's like 50 feet away Yeah. But yeah, I thought it was funny. I just it had this like big epic thing and then it turns into just a joke. Yeah. Yeah, they did a good job with it. And yeah, NBC NBC's done a great job kind of getting the promos and like really kind of getting the style of the show for that kind of stuff. Uh So, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how we 
how we do on NBC and hope people tune in. <laughs> I think I think they will, and I think it'll do good. I yep. think I think you're in good hands. <laughs> yeah, it feels so, like. So how how is it doing something you know like goofy like Brooklyn Nine Nine and and then doing something like demonic, like. Uh, that, like how has that changed for you? Like, do you do you really like sort of like the total shifting gears, or, um, or are you are you more of a, a fan of uh, horror? Or, or I, you... I mean, I'm a I've really enjoyed doing the comedy. It's definitely I think now I've been doing comedy for a while, so I would enjoy doing you know something else too to kind of uh, break it up. Um, I actually did demonic right first season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine kind of right alongside each other so that was a little bit of a crazy (laughs) just turn one side off turn the other on Uh, so uh, you know but that was definitely one of those uh, pressure and deadlines make make cool things happen Um, it's fun you know to me I think I work so much off the picture that it's really not hard to shift gears when I'm looking at something that's like, oh, this is, mm-hmm. you know, this is what it is, uh, so clearly different from the other thing that, uh, I, I, you know, I did, I can't say that I really found it difficult to be switching back and forth. Uh, and it's kind of refreshing to have something else to, to go to. So you don't just, you know, kind of get in a feedback loop on the same things that you're doing. Cause every now, you know, as different as they are, there's, you know, again, there's setups and a, a, a build, a buildup of tension and a release of tension in one way or another. So I think you can actually still learn something about doing one from doing the other. Yeah. How did, how did you approach the score for that movie? Um, being that I think, I think horror is one of those, it's one of those genres that it's, it's real easy to just say I'm gonna score a horror movie, but then you have to be careful of not just doing the same things that have been done in every horror movie. How did how did you find, uh, you know, the challenge of trying to find the tone for for something like a you know, like a demonic horror movie? Yeah, well, de- so demonic. It's uh, the film kind of has two two sides to it. Like it's a little bit of an pol- investigative police drama and then a little bit of a straight haunted house kind of horror film like it's kind of got both sides going for it so the mm-hmm. the police part of it was pretty straightforward for me i i knew that from my other stuff that i've like i kind of had an idea of what sounds work for that and you know keeping it a little bit more on the creepy side that there's always some lingering tension than i would have on a you know tv police show but um the horror side of it uh, is the first the first horror film I had done. So it's um, it was definitely a learning thing for me. Uh, you know, a lot of modern horror is is very just tonal and mm-hmm. effects driven. And, you, you know, you hear a lot of that kind of stuff. I because the, the haunted house was such a like classic haunted house kind of. Uh, story uh, I tried to go a little more old school and more melodic with with the sound of it which 
may or may not have worked, but but it was fun to write. Um, but I think probably the most effective scary scenes are the ones where the tonal stuff does take over and the uh, the melodic stuff is more where it's it's in your head about what may or may not be happening. And then when there's j jumps and scares and, and uh, that kind of stuff happening, keeping it much more tonal and uh, just finding the right sounds uh, for that helped to, to really, you know, give it, a, give it a sound, keep people interested, hopefully. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I was watching the the trailer for the trailer for Boys of Abu Ghraib. Yeah, that looks really good. That yeah, looks like a really interesting story. And uh, the the piece of music that you showed me, I was it sounded really good. And then when I saw the trailer, I was like, man, this this seems pretty intense. Yeah, it, it was a cool film. Um, it it's a very uh, you know this obviously the prison of Abu Ghraib, but it's a very kind of. Um, smaller story in that setting of like really one one soldier's kind of journey and what what he's doing and uh his kind of interaction with a prisoner there um mm -hmm. but yeah it was it was really well done and and fun to write for that i was mostly kind of guitar based and um but yeah like i mentioned with the emotional piano uh yeah, the central kind of theme of that one, I definitely broke out the emotional piano sample <laughs> for and uh, went for, for his, everything with his relationship with his uh, girlfriend back at home and his kind of missing home is based on that that theme that was initially mm -hmm. just written on that emotional piano one. And really, you know, I think there's like an ambience and that that, that sample and that was really like, Okay, that's that's all this needs. It doesn't it doesn't need all the rest of it that that you can kind of clop on top of things. But that's awesome. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's always nice when the the sound of something ends up being really simplistic instead of thinking of you know just layering and layering, which is it's easy to do. But I think you know it's kind of like like when you watch you know like Alan Silvestri like Forrest Gump score or something. It's just you know a little simple piano kind of. You know, not, I mean, not like super, you know, simple, like three notes or something, but just, you know, a, a very, just one instrument. Very yeah. Just, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. I definitely, you know, I, there's definitely power in keeping things simple. I think <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you have all these tools and all these things, but when you can find the right one to get your message straight through, it's like the, the fewer, the better. But you got to have the right one to <laughs> to do it with. You know, that's yeah. the, that's it, the trick. I could see how sometimes that would be uh, kind of a bummer for people because you think like, all right, I'm going to do this new project. Like, I want to bust out all my guitar pedals. I want to take out all my synths and just like make these crazy sound chains and you know try to create some completely new sound for something. But then it ends up just being you know four notes on a piano. You're like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Easy, I mean. But if, if you know if your if your complex sound chain gives you that the the sound that that cuts through and is like yes that really that yeah. identifies this this work then I, yeah go for it but it uh, it definitely 
I, I find that the more I kind of layer on top of things and layer and layer and like, okay, this is this is getting where it just tends to sound uh, more homogenized and it doesn't it doesn't allow something to really kind of cut through and and reach the viewer because you know we're uh was especially like on brooklyn 99 the it's dialogue wall to wall so there's Mm. (laughs) i think there was one episode where i i watched it on tv and there was like a decent like 25 second chunk where it was just music there was no dialogue because they were texting on screen instead Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, I should have like I should have paid more attention. I could have really done something there because I'm so used to just trying to stay a little bit out of the way. But it's like, uh, you know, uh, the point of that being that you you really do have to stay out of the way. So if you can find the one thing that really can cut through uh, in in a way that's not distracting, obviously, but if you can find the thing that that the audience can latch on to i think that's uh that's definitely the trick like i i like to think of myself as being a much more minimalist uh composer and just creatively think of everything as uh a much more minimal kind of attitude mm-hmm. but uh i definitely catch myself layering and layering and then i'm like okay just let if if you're having to double and triple everything, was it the right sound to begin with, or do you need to just go back and and find the sound that's that's the that's right true. one? You know, that's like the same exact approach when it comes to mixing itself. Like you get these guys with like ten plugins on their chain, and then you take it off, and it sounds better than it did with you know three EQs, two compressors, a limiter, and like what are you yeah. doing? Like yeah, four <laughs> reverbs. Like I needed four <laughs> reverbs to get the exact sound that I needed. Like yeah. no, you didn't. Bro, yeah. I could like use. Uh, a little looking. EQ, yeah. a touch of compression, like a throw it in a room or something in the reverb, and you're good. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely something I'm learning along the way. Is if if you know <laughs> that it, along the same lines. The other thing is if I'm uh, my other kind of check to make sure things are are good because I basically uh, I write the music on Brooklyn Nine Nine. I write the music and I send it to the mix and. At the mix, if they want to tweak something, they can, you know, over the series, there's maybe been a handful of cues that they've just said, no, I don't think we need music there. And sometimes I'll write something knowing you probably don't need music, but I'll just give you something in case you want it. But um, my basically my only check besides just, you know, the logic to Pro Tools and listening and coming back and listening again is I'll, you know, I'll play it for my wife, who's a producer on a TV producer as well. But I'll, mm-hmm. I'll play something for my wife and just and just uh, if I'm if whatever I'm nervous about playing her or whatever I'm like I don't know about this like what do you think about that it's like you should just change it because it's not right you know it's not right you should just change it not you know don't try and but but that act of of playing it for someone else allows me to to really say no I don't like. I have a problem with that. I'm sure, yeah. like I've been doing this long enough. I know that th- there's probably something wrong with it. So I should, I just got to go back to the drawing board. And you know, sometimes it's a, it's like ah, but then I got to fire up the amp again, and then I, you know, <laughs> it's like where was that setting? You know, it's a little bit of a pain to go back and be like, all right, but yeah, but there's definitely learning that like no, I can find something, a single thing that nails it better than than trying to 
say, well, what if I just added this on top or a little symbol thing here? Or maybe that would maybe that would ease it through, you know, and make it pass. But uh, yeah, it's funny how that is when you put someone in the room and you're you know, like, hey, you want to you know listen to what I've been working on? Because I've done that with yeah. uh, my girlfriend. You know, I'd, I would be writing some music. And I'm like, hey, you want to come check it out? Just, you know, kind of get yeah. someone else's opinion. And as soon as I hit play and, like, we'll say, it, like, the second part of the whatever I was working on starts playing in, like, it's like you're almost listening to it from outside of yourself. Yeah. And it's like you can hear where it's bad, but before you're, like, not really thinking about it. And then you're like, you know, and you almost <laughs> want to just hit stop. Like, no, just come back. I'll come back. <laughs> yeah, so like, let me change these three things and, and then I'll play it for you again. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's funny how that works. It's like this like weird psychological thing because I've always I've always been that way. Like you have that moment where like you're really stoked on something and then you play it for someone and like you're just like, uh, like you just I don't know. Yeah, it's what hating it or <laughs> what's surprising me is I feel like I usually I I usually know it when I'm like as I'm playing it for someone else. I know the parts that I'm concerned about and mm-hmm. and it's in the writing process learning to trust that like you're concerned about it for a reason you should change it you can find something better than that you know like learning that that go ahead and trust that instinct and make the move as opposed to just saying ah maybe i can maybe i can eke this out maybe i can do something else like maybe maybe another reverb will fix it (laughs) (laughs) probably will yeah (laughs) Awesome, man. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with me. And, uh, you know, like, like I was saying, congratulations on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine coming back. Yeah, thanks That's for watching. and exciting. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I know I need to catch up. I still have some more episodes to watch before I uh, yeah. get to where, they're, where <laughs> they are now. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's funny enough that I'll, I'm going to keep watching. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, thanks again, and, you know, good luck on everything else. Oh, yeah, thanks. Same to you. If you want to stay more up to date on any of our Sound Iron podcasts when we release them, make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts youtube and soundcloud as well as go back and listen to any of our other previously recorded sound iron podcasts with some really awesome and creative artists so until next time i want to thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next podcast